All right. Hey, if you're new uh, and you've been interested in joining the church or even just learning more about our church, we have a once a month, we have a membership class and that's happening today after the service right across this hallway in the cafeteria. So some of you have signed up for that, but even if you didn't sign up, just show up. All right. We got you covered. We have childcare, drinks and snacks. And so uh, if you're interested, it's a great way to just learn who we are as a church and find out if this is a good fit for you and your family. So we look forward to, to seeing you there. We have a special treat for you coming up in just about a month. We are having a Christmas concert here. The Christian band uh, Sela will be with us. And so we're looking forward to that. Many of you know who that, who that is. And so I know the, the talk has been going around, but we are having that on December 11th at 7 p.m. here at the church. It is a one show, one night only. There are tickets. This is a ticketed event. Tickets are $10. But if... $10 is, you know, maybe things are a little bit tight around the Christmas season. Go ahead and call the church this week. We'd be happy to comp you that because we, we would want that to be an issue. So you can call the church and, and we would love to just help you out in that way. But for many of us, that shouldn't be, that wouldn't really be an issue. But again, that is, uh, you can go to harvestchristmas.com right above me. You can see it. And you can see the entire Christmas season of what we have planned ahead, the sermons, the concert that's coming up, and you can purchase the tickets there. Uh, we have a... Bible workshop tonight at 6 p.m. So we're looking forward to having Dr. Mike Lester. He's in here somewhere. Uh, there he is. Dr. Mike Lester, uh, he's going to be with us tonight. And I got to tell you, if you, uh, if you teach the Bible in any capacity, whether it's Sunday school, junior church, you're not going to want to miss this. Uh, even if you just want to get better at studying the Bible, you should come out to this. I promise you it's going to be such a blessing. And so we're looking forward to that. Again, that's tonight at 6 p.m. Um, and so to, uh, at this time, we're going to go ahead and hear a message from Pastor Mark. Uh, but in preparation for that and hearing the message, you can turn to Revelation chapter number two as we get ready to hear the message. Hey, let me encourage you to jump on those tickets for that concert. Uh, we've had churches and people from the community <clears throat> see that that's coming on Sela's schedule and call us saying, can we have tickets? And we've told them no. We've told them we want to give our church a week to get tickets before we open it up to the community. <clears throat> so now is the time, and that's, that's gonna, those tickets are going to go quick. So if you want to come to that, now is the time. Otherwise, you're, we can't guarantee you a seat. There's only so many people we can fit in the room. Uh, so you better jump on that here in the next few days. I do, I do want to commend you uh, and just say a big thank you to you. We ended missions month last month, right? And everything kind of builds towards us collecting our missions commitment cards and taking up an offering for the missionaries that were with us. And not only were our missions commitments uh, super healthy, and you all, as you always do, stepped up and want to be a part of that, uh, but as you know, we took up an offering last week and we said, let's give, but let's give over and above, and our goal was to, to bring in an extra $21,000. We had seven different needs that were $3,000 each, uh, six missionaries, and then some shipping for Operation Christmas Child boxes, and not only did you all give abundantly and meet that, but you went about 40% above that, and $29,000 came in in that little portion of the offering last week, and we were able not only to give the missionaries, you know, what they needed for their projects, but even over and above that to take care of some travel and some other expenses and really just be able to bless them. So it's moments like those for me as a pastor that I step back and I'm like, 
I think I won the church lottery. Like somehow when God put this together, I feel so blessed to be uh, a part of a people that really want to be generous and really want the gospel to go around the world. So I can't thank you enough and hats off to you. Well done, well done for last week. Uh, Last thing and then we're going to the sermon. As you may know, there's some voting to be done this Tuesday, right? And I just want to pastorally admonish you, uh, go vote. Even if it's like, I haven't voted in 20 years, go vote anyway, okay? Uh, take advantage of the republic that we live in. Take advantage of your citizenship and the rights that are afforded you and go vote. Not only vote, like don't vote blindly and just fill in circles, you know, A, B, A, B. Like go vote biblical values, okay? I know that it takes a little bit of work to figure that out, but I believe in you. You're smart people and you can do it. So go vote on Tuesday and vote some biblical values. All right, I'm done. Revelation chapter number two. Well, I'm not done. I have a sermon, but Revelation chapter number two. For those of you that got real giddy and you're like, ah, we're going, we're going to the buffet early today. Not quite. Revelation 2. Before we read this, I actually want to show you a video, which is uh, highly unusual for the start of a sermon. But I want to show you this video that Voice of the Martyrs made uh, this last year. And then after you watch it, I think it'll make sense when we read the text here in Revelation chapter number 2. So let's go ahead and watch this. take my place if I do. Jesus told his followers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every nation, to the ends of the earth. John Chow was a teenager when he took his first missions trip and when he felt called to invest his life to reach the people of North Sentinel Island, who had violently rejected all previous contact with outsiders. John answered that call. Here am I, send me. For the next nine years, every decision John made was with an eye toward going ashore on North Sentinel Island. He served in multiple countries to gain missions and ministry experience. He trained in linguistics to help learn their language. He was certified as an EMT in the hope of serving the tribesmen medically. Once I said yes to Jesus, I was committed. I was all in. I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. I want my life to reflect obedience to Christ and to live in obedience to him. I think that Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything. In 2018, with the backing of his missions agency, John went to North Sentinel Island. He knew the risks, but his passion for the North Sentinelese and his desire to be obedient to Christ drove him forward. Sitting in the boat, getting ready to go ashore, John penned a final note and a challenge to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. 
Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 to 10 states. I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Within hours of writing those words, John Chow was killed by the Islanders. John believed that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience, and he would be obedient to God's call, no matter the cost. Who will pay the price to go to every tribe? Well, what does that story of John's life and his martyrdom have to do with Revelation? And I think when we read it, it'll be apparent. Look at Revelation chapter number two, verse eight. Under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of, of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the, unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death." Well, there's a few thoughts that I could say about this church, but I think the most apparent thought is that this church in Smyrna faced tribulation. You see that multiple times through the text, and you not only see this generic descriptor of you're going to have tribulation, but you see what they were facing. You see the church was facing poverty. It says that in verse number nine, I know thy works, I know the tribulation, I know your poverty. Now that is actually pretty ironic because Smyrna was a very rich city. Smyrna had a bustling market. Smyrna had a huge port. Smyrna was a beautiful city because of all the money that it had. They could have this place of opulence. Uh, some people even went so far as to say that it was the ideal city of the ancient world. It was planned out by Alexander the Great, one of very few planned communities in antiquity. If you've been around Pittsburgh for any length of time, you know that the streets and roads of Pittsburgh are anything but planned, right? The 28 has been under construction for like since they built it because apparently someone didn't really plan that out properly. There's all these hills and roads and everything everywhere. No, 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 not in Smyrna. It was planned out. It was mapped out. There were right angles on the streets that you went here. You turned at 90 degrees. It was a planned community. And the, the main thoroughfare of Smyrna actually was a street of gold. And here in this rich city, these people are told that I know your poverty. Because when you became a Christian, not only did people throw their hands up and cease to care if you were exploited, they oftentimes would exploit you. If you were a Christian and you were a craftsman or a tradesman, uh, you probably belonged to a guild or maybe like we would think of a union. But as you took a step of faith and you put your faith in Jesus, oftentimes you would be ostracized from and excluded from these guilds and you were no longer able to even make a living because you could not have the acceptance of the powers that be and you were put on the margins of society. 
And these people faced extreme poverty. And verse number nine says it's not just poverty, but there's slander. I know the blasphemy or I know the slander of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. There was a very large Jewish community in Smyrna, and history records for us that the Jewish uh, congregants would oftentimes link arms with the pagan people in an effort to brutalize and to uh, ostracize the Christian church. And it was very easy in this day and age, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Domitian, who's ruling at this point in time, and is not just persecuting the church, but is enacting laws and systematically persecuting the church. So if you were brought up under any charge for any reason before any judge, and you did not renounce your Christian faith right away, you were automatically guilty. There was no trial, there was no hearing, there, there was no listening to arguments, it was what is the charge? Will you renounce your faith? No, you get the furthest extent of the law. The end, no recourse. And this was a day and age where Christians were accused of all sorts of things. I, I would encourage you to maybe do some homework and to go read Justin Martyr's The Apology. It's a, red, it's a letter written from Justin Martyr who argued to a Roman emperor that Christians were not A and B and C and D, all these things they were being slandered for. And you would, be, you would probably be surprised that one of the core things that Justin Martyr argues, Christians are not, we're being slandered in this way, but we are not cannibals. Because there were these people who are being stomped on, so they're going underground and they're, and they're meeting in their churches secretly. And did you hear? I think they eat the flesh and they drink the blood of somebody when they get together. And communion was being twisted and perverted to be these people are cannibals. So if a Jewish person wanted to find a Christian person and haul him to the judge and say, look, he's a cannibal. They eat the flesh, they drink the blood. Uh, what, what, are you a Christian? Yes. Will you renounce? No. Guilty. The end. And this church in Smyrna is facing this sort of opposition and this sort of persecution. But not just that, there's also prison. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. For behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. And it's interesting to me that both in the slander and in the prison that Satan is attached to this. It's interesting that it's noted that there are these people, they are physical descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, but they are not the spiritual descendants of Abraham, and they are not Jewish in the truest sense of the word, as Paul would argue in Romans chapter number two, and, and the, the text says that's the synagogue of Satan right now, he's using them. This says Satan will cast you into prison. Hey, I know that this has come your way, but I'm telling you, this is going to come your way. This is going to intensify. This is going to get worse. That imprisonment is coming. It's almost as if the church was learning the lesson that Leonard Ravenhill talks about. That when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, Satan oftentimes opens the gates of hell to blast us. And they were learning the lesson the hard way of new levels, new devils. That as we take steps of faith and we want to serve the Lord and we, we want not only to be Christian people, but we want to live out our Christianity, that Satan was on the attack. Satan was, uh, he was on the offense. He was trying to persecute them. He was trying to squash them and to get them to, to stop or to be fearful or just give up. And Satan was after them. And this is a lesson that the church has always needed to learn through the centuries. 
And while it may be different in our, uh, in our Christian culture here in America, there certainly are enough parallels for us to learn the same lesson of new levels and new devils. That if you want to take steps of faith in your Christian life, expect Satan to attack that. If you want to pray for boldness and you want to open up your lips and open up your lives and now all of a sudden your neighbors are no longer safe because you're not hiding in your backyard behind your privacy fence with your garage door closed, but you're out there and you're meeting them and you're getting to know them and how can I pray for you and why don't you come over for dinner and you're witnessing to them and you're sharing the gospel with them, expect with that new level a new devil. Expect there to be opposition. If you decide that, hey, I'm... As a man, I need to step up, I need to man up, I need to lead my home in a right way, in a God-honoring way. I want, to, I want to be the chief servant. I want to lovingly sacrifice as Jesus lovingly sacrificed for his church. So I want those under my umbrella of authority, my wife and my children, my grandchildren, I want them to flourish. I want to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. I want to kick it out of neutral and I actually want to step up and lead my home in a proper way, which you should, men, then Expect with that decision and with those actions, those new levels will bring new devils. It's the way that it works. Expect if you decide, I'm gonna go on the mission trip to Honduras in January, or I'm going to Arizona this summer, or I'm gonna step up, expect there to be some sort of bad things that befall you. That's not un unusual. And the church got this. And apparently, and I love this, the implication is that the church was a threat to the devil. And if I step back and say, well, how would I want to describe a church that I want to be a part of? One of the descriptors I would want is we're a threat. I want to be a threat in my Christian life to the devil and what, what he wants. I want our church to be a threat. I want you to be a threat. But there is a high price that comes with that. There will be opposition. There will be persecution. There will be the devil on the attack. And the church is facing this. But not only is there this slander and there's this poverty and there's this persecution that's befalling them and imprisonment, but it goes so far as to say in verse number 10 that you'll have tribulation 10 days. There's a lot of speculation about what does that mean 10 days? 10 days means this and I just think it means 10 days. I don't know what specific 10-day period of time came on them that was really significant, but apparently there was a, a really intense week and a half is, is what I'm prone to just take the plain, the plain sense of it. You're going to have tribulation. There's going to be an intense period of this. Be thou faithful unto death. If it's required of you to go to the grave, do it. Apparently there were a bunch of John Chows in this church. They were so committed to their faith that when the world squashed them, out oozed this faithfulness that was motivated by love for Jesus. And they remained faithful unto death. We have lots of stories in, in history from the church at Smyrna, but perhaps the uh, most clear story we have is actually the bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. He was the pastor of the church. Polycarp was actually a disciple of the apostle John who wrote uh, Revelation. John had his home-based ministry there in Ephesus. And Ephesus and Smyrna are just a hop, skip, and a jump away from each other. They're, they're pretty close to each other. 
And Polycarp was discipled by John and went on to be the pastor of the church. And we know in grave detail what happened to him, that this throng of both pagan and Jewish people got in a frenzy and demanded one day that they go find Polycarp and drag him into the stadium and that they make him renounce his faith. And if you don't renounce your faith, the end, you're dead. And Polycarp refused. And they said, if you don't do it, we're going to tie you to the stake. We're going to light you on fire. It's game over for you, buddy. And Polycarp said, look, you don't even have to tie me. I'll go willingly. I'll stand there without you fastening me. So we did. And they lit the wood on fire. And the story is that Polycarp sang hymns until the breath was no longer able to come out of his lungs. And he died. This was the church at Smyrna. Now, I understand that as Americans, there's, there's enough rights afforded us that we're not the church at Smyrna. Okay, so don't, don't get this sideways. There's real persecution in the world right now. I both enjoyed and was moved to tears in talking with one of our missionaries last week who was here from India, telling me stories of the Bible college that they run and those young people that are there studying to go be pastors or studying for ministry and how if the villagers know that someone from that family household is there studying the Bible, that they will disown the family, burn their house to the ground, and kick them out of the village. That's today. But that's not us today, okay? We have our preferences stepped on a little bit, and I won't belittle that, but we don't face real persecution as a church here in America today. However, that may come in your lifetime or in mine. I think all of us would admit that we feel the sands shifting underneath of our feet. Can we, can we sense that right now? That it used to be not only that our Christianity was tolerated, but our Christianity was appreciated or was respected. And in the same way that, you know, military got a discount at Lowe's or other places, pastors used to have those things from what I can understand back in the 50s or back in the 60s. And that went from, okay, we appreciate this to now we tolerate this. Then it went to we're going to belittle this and just get with the times. Come on, are you, are you really that anti-science? You know, grow up a little bit. Do you really believe that book? And now it's becoming hostile. Now it's becoming not just get with the times and grow up, Christians. Now it's becoming it's your fault. You won't call me by my preferred pronoun. You're abusing me. Your Christianity is abusive. You're going you're gonna to call my lifestyle sin? How, how dare you be that judgmental? How dare you be that harsh? How dare you call what I'm doing wrong? Who are you? Suicide rates are four times higher in the homosexual and bisexual community. Fact. You know who gets blamed for that now? Christians. Well, if you all would just update your thinking, and if you all would just be a bit more tolerant, and if you wouldn't put shame on people, and if you'd just be okay with whatever sexual ethic and just let anything go, then there wouldn't be all the shame associated with it, and they would feel more accepted, and they wouldn't feel down, and they wouldn't commit suicide. So it's your fault that people kill themselves, Christians. That's happening. It is easy to find a plethora of articles that say overtly that it's the Christian's fault. And if you think that it will stop there and it won't go any further, and that hostility will not turn into slander, which is already happening, but persecution, or that's hate speech, or imprisonment, then we're fooling ourselves. Now, I don't, I don't hope that it does. I'm not a glutton for punishment. Okay, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not just wanting this and craving this, but I'm smart enough to understand that it may happen. 
And that what the church at Smyrna needed as an admonition and as an encouragement, we may need as well today and in the future. So how did they face this? Because face it, they did. How did they have the gumption and the fortitude to live godly in Christ Jesus and suffer persecution? Well, I think there's two things the text tells us. It tells us that here's these people undergoing this trial, but that they also have these temptations, and they need to be encouraged and admonished in them. Here's temptation number one, that they would be fearful. Here's what it says in verse number 10. Hey, Smyrna, fear none. Fear zero. Don't fear. Do not be driven by fear, church, because they were tempted to be fearful. Then if you keep reading verse number 10, Smyrna, be thou faithful. And this was the encouragement that the church needed. Smyrna, don't fear, be faithful. Smyrna, don't fear, be faithful. But they're coming at us. I know, don't fear, be faithful. But new levels, new devils. I know, don't fear, be faithful. But they're persecuting us and they're imprisoning us and they may kill us. I know, don't fear, be faithful. Stay on the right track. How did they stay in this fight? How did they not fear and be faithful? Well, they definitely focused and found this this compensation of sorts. Here's a church, and it tells us that they, this implies to us that they begin to focus on some other things. Because verse number nine says, I know your works, I I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you're rich. Now, time out. Hey, I'm not a genius, but pick one, right? Things that are opposite are not the same. Are you, are you poor or are you rich? Well, it depends on how you're looking at it. Materially, they were poor. Spiritually, they were rich. We'll see a church here in a little bit in, in, in Revelation that was the opposite that they were materially rich but spiritually poor. And if you have to choose between being materially rich or spiritually rich, you choose spiritually rich. And sometimes both can go hand in hand. It's possible to be materially rich and spiritually rich. It's also very possible to be poor materially and rich spiritually as was the church at Smyrna. And make note of that because there's a lot of false teaching that circles around America today that is basically the get rich scheme of Christianity, which is we're going to couple spiritual riches with material riches and act like these two things are inseparable. And if if you were spiritual enough or prayed hard enough or had faith enough, then God would bless you and you would be materially rich. And that's trash. Okay? That's trash. That's not true. Paul specifically addressed that to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And he said there are going to be these people that will come and they will say that gain is godliness, that you're godly if you have a lot of stuff. And they're going to link these two together in inseparable ways. And the words that he uses, in case you think trash was too strong, the words that he uses is that is corrupt, that is deceitful, that is devoid of the truth. And he says, run from those people. Get away from them. Timothy, the truth is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't be chasing dollars. 
Don't be so focused on material riches that you become spiritually poor. And this church had it straight. And they understood that there were spiritual riches, even though they materially were, were up against it. But not only that, it tells us in verse number 10 that there's this crown of life. And be thou faithful unto death, and what will happen? I'll give you a crown of life. So for all that are redeemed, we are giving eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus. But to those that suffer the death of a martyr, there is a special reward, a crown of life for the John Chows and the Polycarps of the world. And if you're faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. But not only that, verse 11, if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh, don't miss this, this is important. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, friends, this is good news. This is great news. Those that have hitched their wagon to Jesus and those that, that remain faithful to Jesus, those people, hurt will not come to the overcomers via the second death. And the opposite is true. Hurt will come to the non-overcomers or the non-believers via the second death. Is it okay? Press into that more. What are we talking about? Second death. Well, thankfully, it's not all that cryptic. Because if you keep reading Revelation, John will tell you both in the last two chapters of Revelation what exactly he means. And he will tell you death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm going to put a plane. I'm not going to pull any punches with you this morning. Unbelievers are given over to this destiny. The second death, eternal death or hell. Heaven is a real place. And hell is a real place. And those that do not put their faith in Jesus do not go to heaven, no matter how moral they were, no matter how baptized they got. I don't care if they were baptized Catholic and Methodist and Baptist and Mormon and anything else in between. It's faith in Jesus. And those that do not put their faith in Jesus and reject his love and spurn his gracious offer, row their own boat to hell. That simple. Say, Pastor, this is exactly what I didn't like about church when I was growing up. Like, I, I love, you know, let's sing, let's have good, and hip, hip, hooray. We gave some money to some missionaries. But once you start on this scare tactics, there's hell, and it's real, and you don't want to go there. And this is eternal punishment and damnation. There's hellfire and brimstone stuff. I hated this stuff growing up. Look, I don't know if you hated it, loved it, never got it. I want to tell you what it says. And what it says is, Hell is real, and you don't want to go there. The good news is, you don't have to. The good news is, you don't have to go to hell. You can put your faith in Jesus, and you can have heaven. You can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sins. That's all there freely if you'll put your faith in him. And it's not a, it's not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. You can go to heaven and not go to hell. That's great news. 
And he wanted to remind the church of Smyrna what the Bible says. Don't fear those that can kill the body only, but fear him, God, who can kill both the body and soul in hell. You want to be scared of something? Be scared of eternal damnation and eternal flames, not just the stake, Polycarp. Don't belittle that. And if you're in the room and you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, you don't know that you would go to heaven, if you pillowed your head tonight and, and you, you went to sleep with the thought of, will I go to heaven or not? I'm not sure. Will I go to hell? I'm not sure. You don't have to pillow your head in doubt. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. It, you don't have to have anxiety. The message to the church at Smyrna was not meant to be a troublesome, nettlesome, anxious message. It was meant to be a comforting, encouraging, stabilizing message. And the message is, that's not for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, the second death isn't for you. That's good news. And if you've never done it, do it today before you leave. I can't make you. I can't twist your arm. But all cards on the table. Pastor, you know, I'm here. My, my mom drug me to church. I didn't really want to come, but she made me. Or, you know, I, I don't know why I showed up, but I showed up. Like, are you trying to convert me? Cards on the table. Yes. I'm, I'm not trying to be a salesman. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes and, and back door, fastball down the middle of the plate. Go to heaven, don't go to hell, put your faith in Jesus, period. That's it. That's it. And this church understood it. And that encouraged them, it stabilized them, it helped them. Man, there's spiritual riches. Man, there's a crown of life if I'm martyred. Man, I, I'm not going to go to hell. That, they focused on that. But it's not just that. I think there's something deeper and something even greater than that, as great as that is. And here's what they focused on. There was this motivation. It starts in verse number eight, Revelation two. Under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now that's a descriptor of Jesus from chapter one. But that gets pressed home to this church in a specific way that the other churches don't get. Why? Well, Smyrna, I want you to remember I want you to remember who's talking to you, Smyrna. It's me, Jesus. I'm the first and the last. The eternal God. And this eternal God was dead. There was movies that have been made, like God's Not Dead. I think there's like God's Not Dead 1, 2, 16, 18. There's a bunch of them now. But God's Not Dead, which is against the, the idea that God is dead, right? That's cropped up in, in uh, recent years in America. At some level, at some level, you could say this, God was dead. The first and the last was dead and is alive. And Smyrna, I want you to remember as the people that are facing physical death but will inherit eternal life, I want you to remember that the one talking to you, the one encouraging you, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I've been on the hook of suffering I face slander. I face them wanting to imprison me. I face them wanting to come after me. I face poverty. I faced death. I took the dreg of, of death and I drank it to the bottom. I've been there, church. And church, verse number 10, I know. 
I know not just by observing you, but I know experientially. I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. I know the temptation to, to stop or to give up or to give in and to not be faithful any longer in church. I want to remind you, I've been there. Rely on me. Look to me. Follow in my footsteps. And what could be more encouraging or stabilizing than when you're going through a deep, dark, tough time for someone to come along and say, I've been in your shoes. We'll get through this together. And that's what Jesus does to the church. And he gives them a warm blanket for their soul on this cold, dark night. He says, church, focus on him who was dead and him who is alive. Now, it's interesting to me because it's not just this church that needed to focus on him who was dead and is alive. If you know anything of your scripture, you know that all churches are not just encouraged but commanded to take a regular time and to focus on him who was dead and is alive. We can do that in a lot of ways through our songs. We can do that through our sermons. We can do that through our prayers. But one of the specific ways the church is commanded to do it is through communion. You were likely walked by a table as you walked in this morning with these little communion cups with a little bitty piece of bread and even less juice that isn't quite enough to quench the, uh, the dryness of the bread when you eat it. What are we doing with this? As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death was dead till he come is alive. Right? We're doing the Smyrna thing with this. We're doing the remember the one who died. Remember that he's a risen Savior and he's coming back again. Remember that as you take communion. And I want you to take these cups out. We're actually going to observe communion kind of in the middle of the sermon or the end of the sermon, I should say, and put these two together. Before we do this and continue on, I'm not done, but I want to pray. And I want to pray for two reasons. I want to pray, one, for you that are Christians. I want to give you a moment to stop and to thank Jesus that he would die for your sins, to thank Jesus that he would suffer for you and they would offer you eternal life. But I also want to do it for those of you that don't know Jesus. It's your choice if you want to walk out of here today and not put your faith and trust in Jesus. I can't force him on you. But I would love to present him to you. And I'd love for you to put your faith and trust in him right now, if you never have. You can go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. If you believe that you are a sinner and that you can't take care of your sin problem, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross to take care of that sin problem and he was buried and rose again and you're willing to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus will save you from your sin. He will save you from your guilt. He will save you from hell. It's that simple. And if you've never called out to him, I wanna lead you in a prayer to ask him to be your savior this morning. So can we take a minute and can we pray? If you're a Christian, thank Jesus for what he's done in your life. And if you're not a Christian, but you wanna be, and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, right now, right here, just pray this in the quietness of your heart. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can say it internally, but mean it from your heart. 
and just pray these words. Just say, Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I know that I fall short often. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. And I'm asking you to deliver me from the second death. And right now I put my hope and my faith in your death and in your resurrection, not in myself. Jesus, in this moment, I trust you and only you. Now, it doesn't have to be those words. It's not an incantation and that's not a script. But if you will pray something like that from your heart, Jesus says, I will save you from your sin. I want to give you just 30 seconds, if you know Jesus, to continue to thank him. that is communion mixed with scripture and a sermon, we want to tell you that we are grateful. And while our words feel flimsy and our praise feels inadequate at times, we want to do our best to thank you and to praise you for loving us, for coming for us, for dying for us, and for offering your body and your blood as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And we thank you with all that we can muster today and praise your precious name. One final note on Smyrna before we eat this bread. Smyrna is an interesting word. It's a Greek word. It's literally translated from the Greek Smyrna into English. But there are times in our Bible where Smyrna is not transliterated, but translated into English. And when Smyrna is translated into English, the word is myrrh. You can actually see the myrrh right in the middle of Smyrna, M-Y-R, is the middle of that in the first three letters of myrrh. Myrrh is an interesting um, fragrance, an element. You get myrrh by wounding a tree. You cut it, and out comes this resin and this gum. And you harvest that resin and gum and then it hardens into these little pasty white crystals. And then you crush those crystals. And when you crush it, out comes this sweet smelling fragrance and odor. Myrrh is used in the life of Jesus three times. And I don't think it's just a coincidence. Myrrh shows up at Jesus's birth. Remember the Magi that come and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you read it in the Greek, they bring them gold, frankincense, and Smyrna. And people have speculated, like, why do they give them myrrh? I mean, it smells good, but it was typically used in embalming bodies. It was used for death. It's almost tantamount to buying a casket for a baby when they're born. And people have looked and said, maybe that's meant to teach us that this baby was born to die. You don't see myrrh again in the life of Jesus, so he's hanging on the cross. 
And as he's on the cross, they offer him wine mingled with myrrh. And he dies. And they take him off the cross. And you see it yet again in his burial. Where Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in John chapter number three by night, gets the body of Jesus. Joseph there, Matthias, provides a tomb. And Nicodemus provides the spices that are mixed with myrrh. At the incarnation, at the crucifixion, and at basically the resurrection, there's myrrh, 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 Smyrna, Smyrna, Smyrna. This perfume that is retrieved from wounding and crushing. And I don't think it's coincidental. As we remember the death of Jesus, we remember the wounds that he took. We remember how he was crushed. But it was only by that wounding and crushing that the sweet-smelling aroma of redemption comes to you and I. It's only through that. And may we remember, as the church at Corinth did in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, that Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks for the bread, he broke it and he said, take eat. This is my body, don't miss the word, which is broken for you. This is my body which is wounded for you. This is my body which is crushed for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. It goes on to say that after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. I enjoyed the choir song this morning about the blood of Jesus because through his death and through his blood, redemption is offered. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. off as we eat the bread and we drink the cup we do show the Lord's death he was dead till he come he is alive I know that we're in Natrona Heights and we're not in Smyrna but every church in every location in every century has needed to go back to the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus to not only thank him for it and remember him for it but to find in the gospel a catalyst to live whatever faces them and whatever ails them in their lives. And they would not forget that. Well, this morning we get to not only have communion together, but we also get to observe the ordinance of baptism. So I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Dom and he's gonna baptize and then we're gonna dismiss our service. I love you, church. have two for baptism this morning, and if the message was not clear enough this morning from Pastor Mark, we invite you to be saved, and Jesus can save you. If you've never received him as your Savior, we would love to have that conversation with you, and I've had the privilege of having that very conversation with Denise and with her husband, Jeff, and uh, we, I went with it, uh, through it with Denise a couple months ago, and we just sat down, and we, we went through the scriptures, and we made sure she understood it, and she just decided that she wanted to put her faith in Jesus Christ. And I had that conversation even recently with Jeff here this past week, and 
Uh, we made sure of that. We made sure that his faith was in Christ. And, and if you're unsure of that, we want to have that conversation with you. But today, they're going to take the first step of obedience after salvation, not for salvation, but because of salvation. They're not ashamed of it, and they want to let this church family know that they put their faith in Christ, and they're ready to walk in the newness of life that they have in Christ. And so we rejoice with them today. Denise, have you received Jesus as your Savior? That is fantastic. Then I get to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Jeff, I'm going to ask you the same question. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Well, then I get to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That's awesome. Congratulations. The Bible makes it clear that the prerequisite for baptism is salvation. You have to be saved in order to be baptized scripturally. But for church membership, it is salvation and scriptural baptism. And so today, Jeff and Denise have uh, received baptism and are, have been scripturally baptized and are joining our church this morning. But we have a few others out there that we want to recognize this morning before we dismiss. And uh, Deborah Howard and Robin uh, Bertetto, where are you guys at? If you could just raise your hand if you're in here. All right, how about uh, Lisa and Erica Balchetto? There they are in the back here. Lisa and Erica, it's good to have you with us this morning. They've been saved and baptized, and, and they want to identify with our church family. So if you, church family, are, are in favor of welcoming them into our membership, can you just give them a hand this morning? Welcome. Be sure to get by. Uh, the Bible talks about extending the right hand of fellowship. So you can give them a handshake, you can give them a hug, but let them know that we're so thankful that they're a part of our church family. Thank you for being here. You are dismissed.